Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's a round table here as Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko join me and we each come with a Browns question. So we throw them out there, we discuss them, and that's what you're going to hear today on the podcast. Football Insider, you got to become one. Look, the draft is coming. It is really close. You want to be a Football Insider subscriber before the draft gets here. Cleveland.com slash Browns to get that daily newsletter, become a text subscriber, and get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns again just click the blue banner at the top of the page there and get info get signed up become a subscriber okay here we go our orange and brown talk podcast Here we go on our Orange Brown Talk podcast. We've each come armed with a few questions about the Cleveland Browns. And Mary Kay, you are up first. What is your Browns question? Well, since it's a Baker Mayfield kind of a week, (laughs) I have a Baker Mayfield oriented question. And that question is, we've talked about this uh, on this pod before, but I'm curious now that, uh, that we actually know he will ultimately end up somewhere else. Will Baker Mayfield take his next team to the playoffs? And he doesn't have to necessarily do it next year. Um, It's a little bit of a loaded question, I guess, because he might not be with that, um, with that next team. So I guess I better rephrase this. No, I like it. I like it like that. You like it like this? Okay. I think that's a good way to ask it. Okay. Let's keep it like that then. Will Baker Mayfield take his next team to the playoffs? So will Baker Mayfield be one of the biggest reasons his next team makes the playoffs? Because there are people who would argue that he didn't necessarily take the Browns to the playoffs in 2020. We're saying that he's going to be, he's going to be the guy that everybody in Cleveland looks at and goes, man, he got that team to the playoffs. Right. Oh, is that the threshold or is it he just makes the playoffs? (laughs) Or is he just part of a playoff team and he's starting? He's the starting there's quarterback. There's a difference there. I think if he's the starting quarterback on a playoff team. Yeah. 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 Next year. I mean, I guess we can do both, right? I mean, we can do we can do next year and then we can just do ever again. Yeah. Yeah, because I was gonna ex- I did want to expand it to that. Will he take his next team uh to the playoffs and will he take another team to the playoffs so it's kind of a two-parter so i for the first part i would say no because i don't even know where he would start next year at this point there's just there aren't jobs out there right now and i think seattle bringing back geno smith is like 
I, I think that impacts Baker a little. I don't think if they wanted him, they'd bring him in to be their like default starter. Maybe he could win the job. I mean, it's just Drew Locke and Geno Smith there. I, no, I don't, I don't think he starts for a team and takes them to the playoffs next year. I'll, I'll start with that first part. And why, why do you feel that way? I just don't, I just don't think that job is out there. I, I just don't see where he goes unless the Browns have to cut him and he ends up in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I don't see that job out there where he takes over a team that's ready to make the playoffs. Yeah, anybody who needs a quarterback right now is not like Seattle's not a playoff team um, right now. So if he did go there, the odds are long. If if he you know goes to a team that just has a bad quarterback, that means they probably aren't a playoff team. But if he does end up in a situation where he's backing up somebody, you know, then I think that's probably a better scenario at least for next year. But yeah, of course Baker Mayfield can be a quarterback for a playoff team. He's done it already. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, if he did it again, if, if he eventually ended up with a team where he's a starter and, and they make the playoffs. And I don't think that in any way um, is like a negative or, or seen as some sort of, yeah, they made the wrong move and not sticking with this guy um, just because he would go on and make the playoffs. Um, but I think it could totally happen. I do think Baker Mayfield, as Scott said, I think Baker Mayfield is a playoff quarterback. I don't know if he's a Super Bowl quarterback. And I think that was part of the Browns calculus that even at Baker Mayfield's best, is he a Super Bowl winning quarterback? I think it's possible this next season, he ends up in the Mitch Trubisky car wash that he just has, he goes somewhere like he goes to a good team as a backup. And then coming out of this year in 2023, he's now the hot guy again, right? Just like sort of Mitch was this year. It's like Mitch. Oh, there are reports. Mitch is going to be a start, get signed as a starter um, for this season. And if I were him, I think, I don't know, would you rather go to a terrible team and be the starter? Or would you rather go somewhere and back up a really good quarterback and impress people and have your coaches say good stuff about you and the way you looked in practice? You could talk about all the things you learned from the quarterback who was there. And then you can come out the other side looking for a new contract in 23. I think, Dan, you're right. It's more circumstance, I think, for this year than it is really about Baker's abilities that I would say no this year, but yes, overall. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that you bring up that point, Doug, because I do think that, uh, you know, where Baker lands is going to be so crucial and so pivotal in what happens with him moving forward. Is he able to get his career back on track? Uh, are the, the Browns able to say, Hey, look, you know, we obviously did the right thing here. Um, the Browns hold the cards right now. And it's almost like his next step could sort of make or break him. If he lands with a bad team and, and does not play good football, uh, that really kind of changes the perception of who he is and what he is. So he he will have to hope that he's that he can be somewhat strategic in his next move. But I mean, the Browns hold the cards. That's I wrote that in uh, a column that I I wrote today, just on looking at some of the stuff, stuff he said in the podcast. This is probably not the time to be ticking off the Browns, right? Because remember when Odell and Jarvis both thought they got traded to Cleveland 
uh, to die. Um, the Browns won't do that. They don't operate like that. But um, they also don't have to do Baker any favors right now. And, uh, and I do think it's vitally important what his next move is in helping to determine getting back on track and success in the NFL. I, I wonder, like, is there really any difference in his situation if he was released today versus if they kept him on the roster today? I, like, if he was free to sign with whoever he, he wanted right now, I, I don't know that that would be like an easy decision or, or if that's something that would necessarily happen quickly. Would it? Would he just go right to Seattle and they would as soon, you know, as soon as they know that they could get him for whatever they want, um, want to give, want to pay him, that that would just be, that would be good to go and that'd be done tomorrow? I feel like that would be post-draft almost. I feel like if, if they released him today, it would be like after the draft, we'll see who, like if Seattle gets a guy, if Carolina gets a guy, if Pittsburgh sitting at 20 gets Malik Willis or something. Yeah. I, th- I think it would, I think the draft would have to almost shake out first. I don't know as bad as this quarterback class is. But we, we still think, I don't think it's a bad quarterback class anymore. Actually. I think there's, it, there's like two and a half interesting guys. I do think though, that makes a lot of sense. If Carolina drafts Kenny Pickett and is like, ah, maybe we don't want to play Kenny Pickett from week one. Let's get Baker Mayfield also. And we'll have both those guys. I think, I think, yeah, you need the draft to sort of, uh, work itself out a little bit. But again, like Mary Kay, you'd have the best handle on this, I think. If it was up to Baker, would he definitely go somewhere where he felt he was the most likely starter no matter what? What if he went, if he was, it was open to him, what if he went to Minnesota and was Kirk Cousins' backup for a year? A guy that he's been compared to a lot, where the GM is a former Browns front office guy. What if he went somewhere, maybe, all right, I don't know, do you want to go back up Aaron Rodgers, maybe not, but like find a guy who's had sort of success with the way you play and go learn for a year. I, I would, maybe he picked that if he could marry Kay. Well, you know what? I think it would be smart if he did uh, because for him to go put bad football on tape with a team where he doesn't have a supporting cast, that's not going to help him because you're going to have a really good batch of quarterbacks coming out next year and you'll have more quarterback movement and different things will be happening and you're going to fall back farther into the pack, uh, you know, with this, again, this new QB batch coming out. So I think it would behoove him actually to, um, you know, to kind of rebuild his, his uh, career, to rebuild his image, uh, to let people hear some good things about him, like you said, off the field, on the field, all those kinds of things, lay low for a year, perhaps, because I do think And I got asked about this at the NFL annual meetings, like what's Baker really like? I mean, these are, you know, some were people from teams. Okay. You know, like people ask reporters, those kinds of questions. So um, I do think he needs to tamp it down a little bit in that regard and almost like a Mitch Trubisky type of, of uh, gap year for him would not be the worst thing in the world. If I were him, that's what I would probably do. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, next next year's draft class quarterback wise is, is supposed to be stronger. It's supposed to be really good. Obviously, I mean, Doug, you're really close to one of those guys that makes it a strong class. Um, but like, just go and be silent for like a year. I mean, we just did a whole podcast about him doing a podcast, right? Just go somewhere where you don't have to talk to the media every week. You're not. I don't know if Baker can do it, 
but you're just kind of in the background and you're just kind of there and like you're not you're not the story um i i think that would be good for him i don't know if that's what he's going to look for <laughs> you just want him to become an entirely different person yes <laughs> i mean that's really not the way he talked uh, earlier this week on the podcast he, he talked about using this coming year is kind of his job interview to you know get another contract uh i i don't know how mitch Trubisky went and didn't play for a year and somehow became a better quarterback um but he did the way a lot of people talk about him uh we don't know if that was the case uh but i i, I don't know I, I think that would be like a big jump not just personality wise just what he seems to want to do um maybe someone around him get through to him and propose that plan but i don't i think he's gonna exhaust every opportunity to remain a starter right now oh, when we ahead. did the, the mayfield matrix offseason project and we're comparing him to a lot of people the two guys that that I focused on a lot were Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, who played out their fifth-year options with their teams as first-round picks. And when they got done with year five and could do what they wanted to do, Marcus Mariota went to the Raiders and backed up Derek Carr, and Jameis Winston went to the Saints and backed up Drew Brees. They didn't leave and go say, well, let me find the 32nd team in the NFL and see if I can be their starter. And now – Drew Brees retired and Jameis Winston is back in the mix and Marcus Mariota had his two years with the Raiders and now he got signed by the Falcons and looks like he's going to be the Falcons starter opening day unless they draft their quarterback, which they probably will enroll with the rookies. So again, I agree with the idea of maybe it's not Baker's personality. This is what these guys do. If you're a big time franchise drafted as a franchise quarterback and you don't work out in four or five years with your first team, go to QB rehab for a year. It's really your best path. Don't go be the Texans quarterback. I, I don't think that's the best thing for him. Do not go play at all costs for a lousy team. Go and learn and let all the good vibes happen and tease people. Don't reinforce what you're not. Tease people with what you might still be. That happens a lot in sports. Sometimes you are better off not playing and not giving people more film because they let their imaginations run wild. Well, you know, the last time he played in Cleveland, that shoulder thing, that wasn't him. Playoff year, though, those last eight games, his he was the fifth-ranked quarterback in the league. Don't go out and suck for the Texans this year and confirm that everything we saw this year was actually the real you. Go be mysterious. Yeah, but how much of the fact that Mariota and Trubisky have starting jobs, or we assume they have starting jobs now, has to do with this draft class? And maybe those teams weren't super excited about their options there. And that might not be the case if, if Baker goes and, you know, plays backup for a year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting because even when he did the podcast, it was – long ago enough that there still seemed like, you know, maybe there would be some other possibilities. I'm not exactly sure when he taped it, but, um, but it was long ago that it seemed like, okay, well, you know, maybe Seattle. And I mean, I don't even think Seattle is necessarily a great option for him right now, but there's two, two points I wanted to make very quickly. Um, number one, I just don't see the Browns releasing him. I don't see that happening. I don't know how that would, the only benefit that they would get out of that is to just say, you're gone, you're out of here. And we're, we're going to close the book on the Baker Mayfield era. That's the only benefit to it. Because as I've been told by, by one person who, who seems to know, 
that perhaps the, the Steelers might be interested in, in signing him if that happened, and other teams certainly would. Uh, so I don't know why they would do that. I'm not saying that they won't, but I can't see why they would or should, and I wouldn't. Um, and then the other thing is, when Baker Mayfield uh, knew or thought that he was going to ask to be traded. And believe me, some of these thoughts started taking place long before he did actually ask to be traded. Um, He had a list of teams that he wanted to go to and a list of teams that he absolutely didn't. And we now know the Colts were number one on his list. There were a few other teams that he would have been very interested in, you know, the saints, um, I believe, you know, the Seahawks, a few other teams like that. There, there was a whole list of teams that he had no interest in going to. We know that he had mutual disinterest with the Panthers, right? And then um, I don't think he wanted to go to a team like, you know, the Lions or the Texans or any kind of team like that where, uh, you know, where he didn't have an opportunity to win. So I think for purposes of this discussion, I, I actually do think he would like to try to avoid uh, going into quarterback purgatory like that and that it would behoove him to back up a good quarterback in a good situation and get himself back together. I, I, I want to do research on this now. I do think this, the point Scott makes is interesting because there, there's a quarterback cycle to the league, right? And on one hand, you have more and more good young quarterbacks coming in. And on the other hand, you have the old quarterback sticking around forever. So in a world where it's like, well, you know, you get a couple new guys every year. And then when guys get to be 35, they retire. It's like Tom Brady's still here. Aaron Rodgers is still here. Guys are still sticking around. So I do understand, Scott, the idea of like the quarterback crunch of like, you don't want to get out of line. You want to keep your spot in line because maybe the world passes you by. Because next year when CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and Tyler Van Dyke and all these guys come in, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know. Baker Mayfield, he was five years ago. I think there's something to that, but I don't think Baker's quite at the point yet where he has to be panicked about that because I do think with Trubisky, I don't think the only reason Trubisky and Mariota and Winston and some of these guys still have a second life is because this quarterback class is down. I don't think that's the only reason. I think you can have two lives as a starting quarterback. I don't know if you can have three. So I think there will be a second team out there that, give Baker Mayfield a legitimate shot. And I guess, did we come to a conclusion? I do think, I would say right now, Baker Mayfield will start a playoff game again in his career. Did we all put our votes in on that? No, we didn't. I don't think we really did. I think we only did year one. Scott did. You you put in your vote. I mean, yeah, I think he will. You think he will? Doug Doug thinks he will. Dan? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that he doesn't hmm. send your hate mail. Care of. <laughs> you know what? I, I think I'm going to say yes. I think I'm going to say yes. Somehow, somewhere along the line, I think he's going to find himself starting a, a playoff game for someone. Although I honestly, in the modern NFL, it's probably more likely that he will because he gets seven teams in. Right, like that seventh team can be a bad team sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that more and more where that seventh team is like a, an eight and eight team or like a nine and seven team or like a team. How did they even get in the playoffs? So it's easier, obviously, to get into the playoffs. 
but I just, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe it's just prisoner of the moment. I'm, I'm down on Baker overall. So I'll, I'll be the wet blanket here and say no. And so I, I think when we look back and amend this question overall, it basically in its simplest form was, will Baker Mayfield start a playoff game for another team at some point in his career? So um, there you have it. And I think three of us think yes, one no. We'll see how it goes. All right, Doug, you're up. All right, my question is related to something Baker Mayfield brought up the other day about the Cleveland Browns. Do we have legitimate questions about Kevin Stefanski's ability to shape, mold, control, encourage a, the right culture in an NFL locker room? Do we have, we're not saying, I'm not saying, is he bad at it? I'm saying, do we have questions about whether he's good at it? Because I would say that I do. He's only two years in. They made the playoffs one year. They didn't make the playoffs the next. But I thought there was enough stuff last year with Odell Beckham and with Baker Mayfield and with all the things we've talked about that some things players said publicly that it feels like maybe they need to get a better handle on things in there and just encourage something where that happens less. So that's where I am. Well, it's a great question, Doug. It really is a terrific, terrific question because Baker alluded to this, as you mentioned, in his podcast. And I actually interpreted it as though he was taking another shot, Kevin Stefanski, okay? I don't know if you guys know exactly that, the one, um, the one quote that I'm talking about where uh, it was kind of a, a combo question, but the second half of the question to Baker was, does the coach get involved in that and galvanizing the team and, and Baker's, or does it vary? And Baker said it varies. And I'm excited to go to a place where I hope they get that and that it happens. So I sort of interpreted that as a little bit of a, a shot, another shot at Kevin Stefanski's. Uh, he does it, He doesn't seem to think that Kevin Stefanski does a good job of that. That's, that's my take. And, and just from, reporting things throughout the, the season, I, I do think that he feels that way, that he doesn't think that Kevin communicated well enough. Um, but, you know, people thought that about Bill Belichick too. So there are different ways of going about what you hope to achieve. You don't necessarily have to be the warm and fuzzy guy in the hallway. Okay. Because Bill Belichick's not the warm and fuzzy guy in the hallway. Now, Lincoln Riley was, and Baker Mayfield loved to have that interaction, that sort of best friend thing going on where, you know, you're, you're together, you're on the same page, you're in this thing together. He didn't get that from Kevin Stefanski and he wanted that is my, is basically my interpretation of it. He wanted more of that and didn't seem to get it. Um, so I do think that there is a question mark here about whether or not Kevin Stefanski needs to take a look at how he handles some of those situations and self-correct. If there's something he needs to change, he, he needs to figure it out. And if I were him, and he's probably already done this, I would sit down with members of my leadership council. I would talk to, I would talk to Miles. I would talk to, you know, even some of the younger guys about it. I would talk to some of the veteran guys about it and get input from everyone and, and really ask them. And maybe even guys that aren't, aren't here anymore or whatever. Um, and, and actually really find out what he needs to do better. So I, I think the other question here is how much of that is on the head coach and how much of that is on the 
actual guys in the locker room to build that culture. Like, like how much, how much does Kevin control, you know, making sure that everything's running smoothly in the locker room and how much of it is like just having those guys in the locker room that basically make it work. So let me ask, let me answer your question with the question. There are two head coaches in this division that we talk about a lot. Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh and John Harbaugh in Baltimore. Who do we think has that responsibility with those two franchises? So (laughs) I think you could, I think there's cases to be made on both sides. Honestly, I think like Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh, there is a certain culture there, right? There's a certain way that the Ravens do things. There's a certain way the Steelers do things, but at the same time, if you walk into that Pittsburgh locker room, like, Hey, there's Cam Hayward. There's, you know, TJ Watt there, there's, there's guys in that locker room who are kind of culture setters, I think. And I do wonder if as part of this discussion, did the Browns kind of lack some of that this year? You know, maybe John Johnson needed to, to be a little better at it. Maybe miles needs to be a little better at it. Maybe Jarvis needs to be a little better at it. Um, I, I think there's, I think there's a burden on the coach, but I also think there's a burden on the locker room itself. But if they and I'm, traded, not trying to, if, I'm not trying to let Kevin Stefanski like skate on it because I do think it's, it's a legitimate topic, but I, I also think there's, there's a player side to it as well. If the Steelers and Ravens both traded their eight best leaders tomorrow, do you think their culture would fall off a cliff? And my whole point is I think the Ravens and the Steelers both have franchise cultures that exist to some degree. And they also have very good locker room leaders to me, as an outsider, there's no question that the culture there starts with Tomlin and it starts with Harbaugh. And players come and go, and guys like Cam Hayward make a huge impact on that. But I do not think some of the things that happened with the Browns last year would have happened if John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin were their head coach. And I feel pretty strongly about that. And that is not a huge criticism necessarily of Kevin Stefanski. But I do believe the, the very, very best head coaches are the galvanizing forces. And as much as you want it in the locker room, I do think in the end, galvanize is such a great uh, verb that, that Mary Kay used. I think it's got to start with either your head coach or your quarterback. Because, for instance, the other team in this division, I don't know that Zach Taylor is a galvanizer, but you know who is a galvanizer? Joe Burrow. So it's okay then if Zach Taylor's like, yay, Joe, because Joe Burrow's like, let's go. And everybody in the locker room's like, that's our guy. And so like, we always sort of wonder, we wanted, everyone wanted Baker to be that guy, but Baker just was a little more abrasive with his Joe Burrowness, right? So to me right now, I would say there are three galvanizers in this division. And I don't know who the Browns galvanizer is. I have, I have like almost no concern about this. I think these are things that people talk about when they lose. Um, as we hear about when they lose, you know, um, I mean, the Bengals or the, or the bills or the chiefs, they, they all could have like felt that there should have been better communication between the team and the, the strength, uh, the strength coaches or, or whatever it was that John Johnson brought up. Um, but you know, that doesn't get said in public because I don't know, they're winning and people aren't talking about things, you know, that went wrong and how to correct things for next year. I do think that the Browns, uh and rid of or in the process of getting rid of two of the biggest drama creators on the roster right obj's gone 
and Baker's about to be gone. And I think that um, in and just by itself is going to help in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's very rare for a team that wins to have somebody who's disgruntled and complaining. Um, LBJ kind of was like that when he was here. He mentioned, I think somebody brought up how few catches he was getting last year, but they were winning early. And he mentioned, well, if we were losing, it'd be a bigger deal or something along those lines. Um, but I think getting rid of those guys probably helps. But overall, it's just you win. I mean, the Bengals won. So Joe Burrow's great to locker room. Um, the Ravens and Steelers have won for many years. So their culture looks great. Um, and we all know the Steelers have had their problems with people uh, over the years. I, I don't know. I just, you win. Kevin Stefanski has only been a head coach for two years. So he's still learning on the job. And I don't know that he has really necessarily honed his leadership style yet from a head coach perspective. Uh, I think he'll be different in that regard two years from now, three years from now uh, than he is right now. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. And I think he will self-correct if he does feel that he needs to be different with players in some way that he will. But I think that, uh, I think he's tried. I mean, that the four H's, uh, you know, that he, that he's done with um, both rosters, uh, you know, the first year and, and last year where he has guys tell their story, pour their hearts out. I think that is a galvanizing thing. And we really pointed to that as a reason that that team in 2020 wanted to run through a wall for each other because they knew where they had come from uh, and they, they really cared for each other as people. So I think he has done a lot of this sort of thing. Um, and then every Friday, you know, we stand out there at practice and we, we watch him fire up the whole entire team by choosing the team captain for that coming Sunday. And it's always a big deal. And they get really fired up about that on Friday. And there is usually some really good reason why he picks that guy for that week. And I, so I do think he does a lot of things like that. Um, but I'm sure there's plenty of room for growth in that way. And, and I think he'll adjust as he goes along. The other thing I think to remember is that he did inherit, uh, you know, he did inherit the previous culture. So there's still a lot of leftover John Dorsey culture. And I think it does take time to bring in your own culture. And I think the guys that, that these guys value, the Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski guys, are the kind of guys that we're seeing now. You know, the Greg Newsoms and the JOKs and, you know, the Amari Coopers. You know, I think you're going to see more of those kind of guys and I think there was a leadership void on the football team last year, not necessarily a leadership void, but there was some errant leadership going on. I think it has to be positive leadership at all times. And you need to have really great leaders. I remember asking Mike Singletary at a speaking engagement over the summer, what, what was the difference in, in the Bears team that, that won the Super Bowl? And he said it was leadership. It wasn't talent. It was lead, player leadership positive player leadership. And I think the Browns do need more of that. And I think that's why you saw them asking in their exit interviews. They were, they told us to a man, Greg Newsom said it, JOK said it. They want us to be more vocal leaders and to step up into more of a leadership role. That's what they want. And that's what they need. I think Kevin Stefanski wants the players to take more ownership 
of the leadership that happens on the football team. And I think you'll see more of that going forward. I mean, I, I think Walter Payton had some talent, maybe. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he said the difference, the thing that set them apart, because there are plenty of teams. There are plenty of teams that do have talent and plenty of it. And for some reason, they don't achieve what they're supposed to. And so that was the separator for him. That was, that was what made the difference. I do think in the end, good culture can't elevate bad talent. But I do think bad culture can bring down good talent. Right. And the Browns have enough talent right now. And they had some other things go wrong on the field. I get it. They had a lot of injuries. And, uh, and I do think, Scott, uh, you're seemingly coming at it from a very like analytical point of view that like good players win, you get good players together and they win football games. And I think, I think that's more true than not, but I think to, I think the idea that culture builds like, no, that winning builds culture. Well, you win and then nobody complains about this stuff. I think there's more to it than that. I do think there's more to it than that. And I do think, I do think other teams could have had what happened to the Browns last year and had a better record. I, I do. I do think that's possible. I do think they had a lot go against them, but I don't think they had to miss the playoffs. And that's where I think some of the management of locker room stuff and when stuff goes wrong, how do you react to it? I think that's where that comes in. And I, I do think, I mean, we said it on this pod during the season a few times, even though we weren't in the locker room, we weren't around the team as much as we normally would be. Things still just at times felt weird, even when they were, even when they won games, even when, like things just never felt right. There was something amiss there and, and you could just, and, and I think that's why when, you know, that's kind of when things got a little bit tough, they just weren't able to overcome. I mean, they were what two wins away from being a playoff team. I mean, they were, it was a razor thin margin. And I, and I think there were, a couple times where it was like they just couldn't push over that hump for whatever whatever reason i do think that maybe there was there was a culture element to that something was just off about that football team last year um and to your point doug there were a lot of times when we got a lot of uh hey we should have kept that internal answers from kevin stefanski <laughs> and, and for whatever reason guys were not listening to that edict and keeping things internal so i, I think i think it's a legitimate and, and fair question and something that kevin still needs to prove all right, my question is moving us forward a little bit and looking at the next five years, right? So, so this is sort of a, right, with the five-year, $230 million contract for Deshaun Watson. This is sort of the first era, I guess. I mean, ideally, look, Watson is 26. If you bring him in, you trade all these draft picks, you're hoping he's your quarterback for 10 years, 15 years. But let's look at the next five years. What is the minimum that this team has to accomplish over the next five years for us to be sitting here. If we're still sitting here on this podcast five years from now for us to say, okay, that was a success. Just strictly over that five-year window. We don't have to stretch it out to 10, 15, just this five-year window. What is the minimum that they have to accomplish? Super Bowl victory. It's gotta be a Super Bowl victory in here. You don't go all in like this. Uh, unless that's what you're going for. So 100%, that's what this is all about. Uh, that, that is why they took this enormous risk 
and put this enormous investment into Deshaun Watson is to win that Super Bowl and to get that Lombardi trophy. And that has to happen within the next five years when you still have uh, your roster where you want it to be in every other area. So that that's where the bar is set. The bar is set at winning the Super Bowl. That's why they did this. And anything else would have to be considered a disappointment. Is it that simple? Is it is, is there more? Is it like go to two Super Bowls and win one? Is it have like a Chiefs light, like what the Chiefs just kind of did in this little stretch here where they hosted some AFC championship games, got to two Super Bowls and won one? Or is it just like if they win one Super Bowl and then lose in the divisional round the four other years, is that is that enough? So, I mean, we're saying minimum, right? Yes, the, like the, this is the, the, like minimum. the minimum like head above water level of like that was worth it. And I, and I do think, like, obviously, yes, the Super Bowl, right? But that has to be at least where we start, one Super Bowl. One Super Bowl win? Yes. That's or my minimum. Or it's, that's, not, not, or it's not worth it? That's or my this minimum. Was all, like, this was a failure? Yes, that's what my minimum. They, what if they make the playoffs four to five years and reach the Super Bowl, but they lose in the final two minutes? No, you got to win. You got to win the Super Bowl. Or it's a failure? Like yes. Yeah. I think they have to win one. Or, yeah, what? or, or we would say what, like if, if it's the end of five years and they haven't won a Super Bowl, but they have been consistently competitive. They have been in Super Bowl contention. They've gone through literally five regular seasons where during the regular season, Browns fans thought this team could win the Super Bowl and they're right in the mix and they make the playoffs most of the time and they win some playoff games, but they don't actually win a Super Bowl. After five years, we'd say, well, that wasn't good enough. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know who hasn't won a Super Bowl in the last five years? Aaron Rodgers. Right? You know who hasn't won the Super Bowl in the last five years? Russell Wilson. Right? I mean, like, it's hard to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hasn't like Josh Allen hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. Has the, has the last five years, the last five years of being a Bills fan, like, been a disappointment because they haven't won a Super Bowl yet because they got right there against the Chiefs and blew it or whatever? Like, I mean, ultimately, of course, I get it, but only one team wins a year. And I think the the joy and excitement of like getting to a Super Bowl is such a big deal that I guess I can understand that threshold. And then it's just one more game. But then you get to the Super Bowl, it's a coin flip. I, I would not. So I am not as much as this is a huge risk. I am not Super Bowl or bust over the next five years, like super competitive consistently or bust. Yes, but I think they could have a version of success that doesn't include a parade. Yeah, because by that bar, getting doing everything they did to get Bernie Kosar wasn't worth it. Um, everything that happened in the 80s ultimately wasn't worth it. And I don't think people come away from that believing that. Um, I think you want to have realistic hope, really. And that means probably you know being a legit playoff team that has a legit chance to get deep into the playoffs. Um, I don't think you have to measure it by Super Bowls. I will say that, uh, that Deshaun Watson landed in uh, this unbelievable era of AFC quarterbacks where it's going to be really, really hard for, for many of them to get to the Super Bowl. But when you take this kind of an enormous PR risk and this kind of, an enormous financial risk and guarantee this contract. 
I think it's, I do think it's Super Bowl victory or bust. I don't know. Is there a separation here between like, you know, outright success and just like kind of the warm, fuzzy feelings of a team, right? Like everybody loved the late nineties Indians, right? Those teams were incredible. 1994, all the way through whatever, 2001, kind of that era of teams. They were amazing. Everybody has great memories of going to the ballpark. Those were truly like, especially that 95 team was a truly great team, but they didn't, they never finished. They never won the world series. So there is that tinge of disappointment when you think about those teams for as close as they came and as much as you love them and as great as they truly were, there's that, it it comes with that tinge of like, ah, but they just didn't win. They just didn't win a world series. And it does kind of, it doesn't ruin it or spoil it, but it just adds a layer of disappointment. And I'm sure Bill's fans, the four years when they went to the Super Bowl, have great memories. Jim Kelly's a legend in Buffalo, right? Thurman Thomas is a legend in Buffalo, but there's still that little, it's just stained a little because that, that one kick went wide right. Yeah, but that's not what you asked. You didn't ask if they don't win a Super Bowl, will it be a slight tinge of disappointment. We said, what's the minimum threshold that they have to do to have achieved success? And I don't think, I think Scott's Bernie Kosar Browns analogy and your, your Indians Guardians analogy is exactly on. People had a great freaking time being a fan of that team. They loved it. They loved it every minute of the whole year for multiple years in a row. And then I think you're not really disappointed until it's over and you look back because while it's happening, if you're consistently competitive, if you don't do it one year, you think, ah, we have a chance to do it next year. And we have a chance to do it next year. And that keeps you going. And then when it's done and you say, oh, we didn't get one. But I don't, I don't know that Indians fans and Browns fans of those era walk around like slump shouldered, right? They love their guys. They love their team. So like if we're using the word minimum, I can't say it has to be a Super Bowl because I do think this era of Browns football doesn't end with a parade, but it resets the parameters of what it means to be the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns are one of the seven best franchises in football right now. And the discussion we just had about the Ravens and the Steelers, like, oh yeah, the Browns, they do things right, man. They have a great culture. They have great players. They have a smart front office. They have a franchise quarterback. They have a great fan base. Being a Cleveland Browns fan, being part of Cleveland Browns, you're one of the best franchises in football. You know who hasn't won a Super Bowl in the last five years? Dallas Cowboys. There's still a lot of great things about being a Dallas Cowboy, right? Like I think you could reset that and be like, wow, this is the new Browns. And think, well, we'll get the Super Bowl in year eight or year 11 or year 13 because we're the Browns and we win now. I-, I think there's a version of that that would absolutely be like worth it or successful. You know what? And I think it's really a question of semantics. It depends on, right? It just depends on how you define six, you know, success and disappointment and failure and all of those kinds of things. I think we can all be sort of saying the same thing here. Of course, if the Browns are contending for the Super Bowl every single year over the next five years, and they're back on the NFL map and everybody's excited and the town is painted brown and orange and everybody loves their Cleveland Browns, there's jerseys everywhere. uh, That's, that is, that's success. That's definitely a modicum of success, but Um, But I still feel like for everything that they've done, including, and some people think that, you know, that they intentionally may have or not 
necessarily tried to win a couple of years uh, to get the two first round picks or whatever. Uh, I still, that's still up for debate in my mind. Um, but to go through everything that they went through and then, you know, to, to get the generational pass rusher and miles and, and to do everything that they just did, giving up their next three first round picks uh, for Deshaun and the money and taking on uh, this, you know, enormous amount of, of controversy. I, I have the bar set at, at winning a Super Bowl. And I, I'm just, that's just where I'm at. I think it was Sashi Brown who said early on um, when he was hired, he said that like the goal or when he took over, um, the goal was sustained success. And I think that's, that maybe is, looks different to, to different people, but I don't think it necessarily has to mean winning championships. Like I said before, it has to be like being a contender and you win a lot of games, you put yourself in a position to get to those Super Bowls. Um, and the fans have a great time, you know, 16, 17 games a year uh, enjoying that. And I think that's probably what you look back on more than the fact that, well, they didn't ultimately get there, but man, it was great watching those teams. We just talked about the Ravens and the Steelers. We talk about them a lot on this podcast. The Ravens haven't won a Super Bowl in nine years. The Steelers haven't won a Super Bowl in 13 years. But they're winning successful, high-level, good culture franchises that their fans love. I, I do think, though, we shouldn't lose sight of, like, the, the point of all this is to win a championship. Like, ever, everything. Everything that happens, the, the point is to win a championship. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. But like every but everything you're doing is to try of and course. win a championship. Right. But if you don't, did you not succeed? That's the question. Of course. Yes. Of so course. Let, let, let me move the goalpost here. What's the what's the minimum without a Super Bowl? Let me can I just say something real quick? This is the era of going all in to win a Super Bowl. And so that's basically what the Browns have done. They're trying to copy what the Bucks did. And what the Rams did, it's very obvious that the Rams did every single thing that they possibly could to go out and get themselves a Super Bowl to get over that hump and achieve the ultimate goal in the NFL. And they did it. And I think that's what the Browns have done. They have gone absolutely all in to achieve the enormous prize of winning, of hoisting the Lombardi trophy. So that's why I'm just... I'm sticking with it. I just, and I'm not saying they're a failure if they don't, but, but that's where, that's where I think the bar needs to be set. Yeah. I think if you're a fan, you want to know that your team did everything they could to get there. You don't want to not make it and think, man, they should have, they just didn't do enough. Um, And I think that's what kind of feeds into the whole all in thing. Like even if the Rams hadn't gotten there, you couldn't say that they didn't do everything they could have to to get there um, and win it. Yeah, I mean, maybe sticking in that five-year window is a little – it makes it tougher. Right? I mean, Peyton Manning didn't win a Super Bowl until, what, like 2008. So, you know, I suppose – you know, Doug, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, right? He's won one, and it's been over a long stretch. But, like, for example, Kansas City in, in this year, in this stretch that they've had since Patrick Mahomes showed up, do we talk about them differently if they don't convert that fourth down? against the 49ers are we talking about this run by the chiefs as eh, that was kind of disappointing we're just in a semantic argument now. yeah, yeah. it's just it's how you view sports and how you view life frankly right. i mean like but it's mostly how you view sports i think your team being consistently in the mix 
from training camp until the last day of the regular season. And then more often than not in the postseason, consistent, long-term hope, fun, and success. I actually think is, and having players that you connect with and love guys, you can wear their Jersey and feel proud. And, and like you have your post, a poster on your wall, like all that to me is actually more important than winning a championship. Now, if you have all that, a lot of times you do win a championship, but as a fan, that's what I want. I want to, I want it sustained. And again, we can play this game in the next five years. Would you have rather have the Browns win the Super Bowl one year and miss the playoffs the other four years? Or make the playoffs every year, but not win a Super Bowl. Now, the idea that the Browns have never won a Super Bowl does change the equation slightly, I think, right? That this is a mm-hmm. football city that's never experienced that. So you might trade anything for a parade. It's like, give me a parade and four O and 17s. I'll take that. I get it. But I think in most circumstances, it's like, well, I want five fun, exciting years with a chance at the end. That's what I would take. But I do wonder if Mary Kay is part of your... Super Bowl minimum, Super Bowl championship minimum, mm-hmm. because it's Cleveland and it's the Browns mm-hmm. and they've never even been there. And everybody else has gotten to experience that. And if, if the Browns aren't going to do it in the next five years, my God, when are they ever going to do it? How much does that play into it? Well, it does play into it, but, but I think Dan hit upon something here uh, in his last remark when he mentioned that maybe it doesn't have to be the next five years. It is hard to do it even in five years, even though that seems like an eternity right now. I think that with this roster that they have built and with Deshaun Watson uh, being their quarterback, uh, that at some point during his tenure here, that should be what happens. They should heist the Lombardi trophy. And that's what this is. That's what this is all about. That's why they went out to get him. So that's why I do think that at some point during his career here, whether it's 10 years, 12 years, the next 15 years, They've got to win a Super Bowl with this group. That's that's what they need to do. That's the definition of success. But again, it's all semantics. It's all semantics. I mean, we could go back and forth over this for the next two hours. Of course, winning and jerseys and sustained success and all that stuff is, is terrific. But the Cleveland Browns need to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it, I think if we all sat here and like listed our favorite teams of all time, I don't think a lot of them would have championships. So yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that is just being that type of team that you can just love as a fan like that, that, that certainly can qualify as success. All right. So we are left with, well, I know a couple of people had a second question that we can, we can get through here if we still have time, but Scott, you are up with your, with our fourth question. All right. Well, my, my question, uh, actually, I'm going to give you a half a question here. How long, how long do I have to wait? Uh, how long should I ignore the alerts I get telling me I have to change my email password? I have nine days left. If I wait till the end of nine days, will I be locked out of my email forever? I am. This is the, I love this dance every time it happens. It's my favorite thing. It's like getting closer and closer to the edge of a cliff. And Scott, I'm going to spoil this for you. The only thing that happens, happens is when you try and log in, you get prompted to change your password. There you go. So I'm going to keep this going for a whole year until uh, <laughs> IT guys start calling me and emailing me. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, every day that email is there. I don't know. I think everybody's lazy like that. All right. So my, my, uh, my legit uh, thing has to do with the defensive line. So the Browns have three defensive ends on the roster right now. Miles Garrett, Winovich, Curtis Weaver, who I think has he played in one game? I think 
I think maybe. he has. Um, defensive tackles, Taven Bryan, Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai. That's it. Six players right there um, today. Now, last year at this time, they had already signed Malik Jackson. They had already signed Tack McKinley. And a year ago yesterday, they signed Jadavia and Clowney. So they were in a really good place as a defensive line last year at this point. But we're, you know, about two weeks away from the draft here. Um, and they got six players on the roster. How concerned are you about that? I think the answer to this question probably starts with whether you believe Clowney's coming back or not. Like, is that where we need to start? Probably. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've sort of been in favor of like the wait out the edge market and grab a veteran at the end for a reasonable price. I didn't realize Scott, we had now passed the Clowney line in that waiting game. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not the only guy out there, right? Like Melvin Ingram's still out there. Jerry Hughes is still out there. Justin Houston, right? They're all older guys. So as long as one of those guys that seems like a reasonable starter opposite Miles Garrett is still around, I'm not yet panicked because I will continue to believe that they'll wind up with one of those guys sort of on their terms rather than on the player's terms at some point. And that seems like a good strategy to me. So if I am in favor of the strategy, I can't get panicky while it's working itself out. So I, I think it's okay. And I actually think there's a pretty decent chance they draft somebody in the second or third round at edge also, or tackle. You know, I, I feel the same way. I feel like one of those guys will end up here. I think they will sign one of those veterans, whether it is Jadavian or Jerry Hughes or, or Melvin or one of those guys. I think one of those will land with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so I don't think it is panic time. And then I think they will add uh, – at least one good pass rushing defensive lineman in the draft, maybe as high as with their first overall pick, which is number 44 right now, or that they trade up to get one. And I do think that there are some, that some really good ones that you can get in the second round. So I don't think it's time to panic. Um, I think as long as they get that good complimentary piece to miles and then somehow a, a nice third edge, uh, I think they'll be okay. So I, I think the third edge would be Winovich, right? Would he become the third edge then? That's, right actually, now. that's actually what I was about to say. Like, I, I feel like Winovich is sort of that Tack McKinley, this year's Tack McKinley. But my only concern with relying on 44 is like, if it's Nick Benito, for example, he's not your number two edge rusher. Like, he's not that guy. Um, or if you go with you know, his teammate, Perry and Winfrey. I don't know that he comes in and he's like an every down starter on the inside right away. I don't know if there's a guy that they get at 44. Who's like, this guy comes in and he's your starting. He's your starting end opposite miles Garrett day one. Now this team is generally as much as they like to say that the draft isn't necessarily to do this when they've drafted guys high, they've started almost right away. But I don't know if that guy exists that's more than like your third edge rusher his rookie year. And, the, and you might already have your third edge rusher. And if you think that they shouldn't take a guy there. Now, if you're taking that guy at 44 as a tackler and edge and you don't think he's going to start, then don't take him. Yeah, I mean, they might have a receiver there that they really like. Because the receiver you take there is going to start. And, and there's guys, I, I mean, there's guys I like there. I mean, I, you know, I like the idea of a Logan Hall or a, a Nick Benito, but I mean, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You do have to probably take a guy that could contribute, you know, almost right away. 
The, the guy that's interesting at edge at 44 is if David Ojabo falls because of the Achilles injury at his pro day. And if they suck it up and, and live through the injury, because that guy's probably a top 20 pick if he's not hurt. And I would be curious their balance of now versus future with a guy like that. But I think generally they just have enough and they'll fill them. They'll be, I mean, they'll, Andrew Barry has the same chart we have. As I always say, it's not like Andrew Barry. Oh, what? There's not, we're playing tomorrow. We don't have a second edge. Can Curtis Weaver start? That's not going to happen. So like he gets it, but um, yeah, I, I, I'll be curious, but I do like Mary Kay. I like the waiting game. I like Barry playing the waiting game and getting a good deal out of it. I think he will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And there are enough of them left and they've got enough money left. And like a lot of teams are out of money by now. So I think they must have some sense by now that they're ending up with one of those guys. So I, I don't think they're panicked about it at all. They, they know they have to get one of those guys. Uh, there are a lot of guys who were on the roster last year who are still like Sheldon Day is still out there. You know, I mean, Malik Jackson, I don't know if he's, playing anymore but um you know he's out there uh so there are guys port augustine um there are guys who were here that maybe just kind of be floating and could be brought back uh, but it just struck me that they are so far behind uh just the roster building that happened last year especially on that line and uh, we've all talked about how how important it is to, to try to find the right people to, to match up and get the most out of miles garrett and they got three dudes and one's played a game. <laughs> would, would anybody be surprised though, if Jadavian just showed up on Tuesday and was like, all right, I'm here. Let's do a deal. I'm ready. Not surprised. Wouldn't be surprised at, at, at that at all. Uh, like I said, I think Andrew has something up his sleeve. I think it, it includes Jadavian or, or one of the other guys and that, that he's probably not losing too much sleep over it. I don't think he loves the off season program that much. Yeah. That's, that's all right. So would anyone be surprised if Jadavian showed up on July 27th yeah. or whatever? And it was like, all right, there I'm ready. Go. Let's yeah. do this. Nope. <laughs> all right. So does anybody else have another question that they want to throw out that they think is just an absolute fire starter of a question? So I, I have a question, but I'm not sure it's not better as a pod unto itself. I know you guys drafted the best Browns last week. I was going to ask, do we think Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa will be a pro bowler this year? But then I was thinking, could we do a draft of like Browns who have never made the pro bowl, who we think will next make the pro bowl or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think JOK is the kind of guy that people like to hear us talk about that. I'm not sure squeezing them in at, at an hour and nine minutes into this pod <laughs> is uh, in service of him, but I would like to discuss like, young Browns players that we, when do we think they'll really pop? So Mm -hmm. we could do it now or later. Let's save it. We'll draft anything. (laughs) I I need, I need time to put my chase McLaughlin argument together. So I'd I'd like to to wait. So we'll, we'll save that one. If uh, don't let us forget out there, listeners and football insider subscribers and Doug, don't let us forget. Um, Okay. So is that it? Nobody else had any other questions. Okay. I think I had a second question. I think it was Baker related, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So it probably wasn't that good. Okay. So that'll do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you're not a football insider subscriber, get subscribed. Cleveland.com slash Browns blue banner at the top of the page. 
it's almost draft time. If you're not a football insider by the draft, I don't know what you're doing. I mean, we're less than two weeks away from this thing. So uh, get on board now. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Orange or Brown Talk. Leave us five-star reviews. Say nice things about us. Uh, for Scott, Doug, Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. We don't have a second edge.